Today, um, we're going to be uh, looking again at um, the, uh, the Book of Acts, which is, uh, and uh, looking at the second half of that first chapter. And uh, in a moment or two, Dan is going to read for us, and uh, so we'll make it possible for Dan to be heard, but um, he's going to read that passage. But before we get there, I don't know how it would be for you, but I suspect that very few of us want to get to the end of our life and congratulate ourselves on playing it safe. I bet there's not many of us that go, yeah, my big intention in life is to get to whenever I go and be with the Lord and go, do you know what? I didn't risk a thing. I did everything that was safe. I kept to all the rules. I just played it safe. And uh, I don't know about you. I, I don't know if deep down that is a desire of yours. I can't imagine it would be. It's certainly not for me. But of course, not playing it safe means that sometimes you have to say yes to things when you don't know how they're going to work out, when you don't know that everything's going to be fine, when you don't know um, that you're going to be okay. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to read a passage about um, a time where even before the church really began, as they were preparing uh, to begin, uh, there was a moment where someone had to say yes, not knowing at all what the future would be. So as we read together, um, I hope uh, that uh, we hear on all sorts of different levels this morning. And uh, I'm going to invite Dan. Uh, hopefully uh, you're a meter, Dan, and you're ready. And so when you're ready, do you want to start reading for us? Then they returned to Jerusalem from a hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the son of Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. You served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in his ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines flowed out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called the field in their language, Akeldama that is filled of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may this place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time where Jesus was taken up, taken from us. For one of these must become witness with us of his erection. Uh, resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barabbas, also known as Justus and Matthias. Where, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. 
Brilliant. Thanks, Dan. And uh, in a context where you had a lot of names there, you did really well. And I think the principle always, when you come across names you don't know, just read them out and be confident. And everybody else goes, oh, so that's how you say it. You did really <laughs> well, really well. What was going on here? Well, one we read last week, we read about how Jesus was with them 40 days and he said to them, I want you to wait and I want you to wait for the spirit to come upon you. Because when the spirit comes upon you, I'm going to send you way beyond your borders, way beyond where you might feel at ease. And so that's exactly what they began to do. They, they went to pray. And that's where we ended last week, where we said, I wonder what they were praying, praying for courage, praying for a new imagination, praying for the spirit, the power of God that had been promised. And we talked about that. And then you, you made your own prayers and we wrote those out and the prayers were moving and heartfelt. But the other thing they did, as well as praying, is they positioned themselves. So they'd gone through this period where Judas had been, clearly, he's gone now. He has committed suicide. Once there'd been 12 apostles, and now there's 11. Jesus had chosen 12 because for him, what Jesus was wanting to do was renew a whole new Israel, the people of God for the sake of the world. And just as Israel had had 12 tribes, so he needed 12 apostles. It was no, no coincidence that he had 12, that they would be the ones who would bring renewal to Israel. That was the hope, that they would restore Israel to all that God would want, that they would be the witness to Israel. And so now, now that Judas is gone, they need to replace him. Brings us to the story of four men. And that's what I want to talk about for a moment. Four men in this passage were named particularly. And the first, of course, is Judas. Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus, of course, the one who handed him over. And Peter is clear that actually this was not uh, a surprise to God, but God in the Old Testament times had seen that perhaps this would happen again, that someone would turn against the king, someone so close to the king would turn against him and hand him over and betray him. And Peter says, it happened, it happened to Judas. I think lots of people wonder about Judas. They go, ah, oh, it seems a little bit unfair. Did he have a choice? Did it have to happen? Couldn't, you know, uh, was he inevitable, inevitably going to betray Jesus? A few weeks earlier, when Jesus and the disciples had the Last Supper, there's a really interesting moment. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. This is Jesus saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. You can imagine the sort of the drama of that moment. It's kind of like all these guys are sitting around and Jesus goes, one of your hands that's on the table right now, you're the one. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. And then this is the bit that intrigued me. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. In other words, it was never that moment where only sort of 11 guys all looked at Judas and went, oh, it's you, isn't it? No, not at all. They kind of looked at one another and went, is it 
is it you? Are you going to do this? Is it me? In other words, I think the disciples, they were never that clear. Maybe not even Judas. But he did. He betrayed him. He handed him over. And Peter says about Judas, it's really poignant. He was one of our number. And he shared in our ministry. Just hear that for a moment. Judas was one of our number. He shared in our ministry. And then Luke tells us, in brackets as it were, because Peter didn't need to say it at the time because everybody knew it, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. And uh, Luke will go on and say, and the field in the sort of the, the language of the day was Akeldama, which means field of blood. And it was in that field where graphically, Luke tells us, that Judas fell and his stomach burst and his intestines uh, filled the field. Why did he do it? Why did he betray Jesus? It wasn't for money because almost as soon as he's handed Jesus over, Matthew tells us Judas took the money back and said, I don't want your money. It's like blood money. I don't want it. So it wasn't the finance. So why did he do it? Everybody in Jerusalem at that time was on a knife edge. The chief priests particularly were on a knife edge because they knew that there were rebels amongst them. They knew that if the rebels took over, then what would happen is the Romans would come down on them like a ton of bricks. And everybody in authority at that time was kind of trying to hold the peace. Jesus clearly was a threat to that. So why did Judas hand Jesus over? I think it's because Judas sided with the status quo. I think Judas decided, I, I, I can't imagine that this is going to end well. I don't think Jesus is the one. I don't think he's the one that will keep our nation safe. It's almost like, and I hope this doesn't sound irreverent, it's almost like Judas said, I think I've backed the wrong horse here. I think what Judas realised was that if Jesus was king, everything would change. Years ago, I mean, a lot of years ago, I used to do assemblies at Buell Hill, and I used to do an assembly every week, and it was quite a pressure in many ways, to be honest. But there was one assembly, and I can't remember what I'd done or what I'd talked about, to be honest, but I remember the conversation I had with one of the teachers at the end of the assembly. So what would happen was I would go in and do my talk and, and do what I had to do. And then the kids would file out and I would sort of, uh, you know, just say hello to the teachers and, and, and pass the time of day with them before they went to the lessons. And one of the teachers, one of the mornings said to me, he said, you know what? He said, I would believe Neil, except I think it would change too much. And he never did. And I think Judas was like that. I think he kind of said, I'm going to betray Jesus. I'm going to hand Jesus over because I think the change will be too great. When you're reading this passage, um, at least when I'm reading the passage, I'm then led to think, well, how come Peter gets to speak? Because Peter's the one that's denied Jesus. <clears throat> it doesn't seem fair on one hand. Judas is kind of like, Judas commits suicide, he's out of the story. But Peter, suddenly, within weeks, Peter's back. And now he seems to be taking a leading role. How come Peter's back? 
Peter had denied Jesus. Peter, when faced up in a courtyard by a woman who said, you were with him, weren't you, when Jesus is on trial? You were with him. You're part of his group, aren't you? You're, you're involved here, aren't you? Peter said, no, no, it's not me. In fact, three times, no, no, not me. I, I don't know him. I, I'm not part of this group. It's kind of like, you, you, you know, you wish the young servant girl had said, well, what on earth are you doing? You northern Galilean, what are you doing in Jerusalem in a courtyard when we've got a prisoner under arrest? What are you doing if you've got nothing to do with it? But she didn't ask that. She just kept pushing him and saying, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? And Peter goes, no, never knew him, never been part of this. I've no idea who he is. So how come Peter gets to be a leader? In some ways, Judas was handing uh, Jesus over because I think he felt the danger was too great. Peter denied Jesus because he was trying to save his own skin. But the difference was Judas stopped the story. Would Jesus have forgiven Judas? I think he would. Did Jesus forgive Peter? Yes, he did. What's the difference? The simple difference is Peter hung around long enough for Jesus to come to him to forgive him. He didn't stop the story. The cock crowed, Peter wept, but Jesus comes to him. He didn't stop the story. Jesus came to him. Two guys who, kind of like one who said that the, the price is too high and the other one who said, I'm trying to save my skin. And then we come to the other two guys. There's Joseph, um, who <laughs> Luke tells us has got three names. He's Joseph Barsabas Justice. Uh, Justice. It's, it's kind of like... Um, Maybe Joseph was such a common name that, that Luke had to sort of really make him stand out. Or perhaps Joseph was so unknown that Luke is really trying hard to, uh, to make him appear. You know the one. You know the one I'm on about. He's the son of uh, Sabas. He's the, the guy who's got the Latin name Justice. Yeah, that one. And then Matthias. And these two men were put up to be decided upon as the ones who would become the apostles. They looked around and they said, well, I'll read it. This is what they said. It's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness of us, of his resurrection. That was a qualification. Have they been with Jesus? Have they been with us the whole time? You know that in the gospel, the, one of the first things Jesus does is he chooses 12 of these young men to be his disciples, to be his apostles, to be the ones he would really engage his life with, to sort of fill them with his life and his teaching, that they would be the ones who would then go and spread the gospel. And they spent three years with Jesus. And Peter says, we need, we need two men who would fulfill that category. And the way they would decide between the two of them is they would take a lot. They, would, they probably had um, 
stones in a bag, something like that. And uh, they would be able to, to see who the Lord had chosen through that way. It's the only time that lots like this are used in the New Testament, never again in the book of Acts. And lots of people think that maybe once the spirit has come, that's how the Lord will lead the church into making leaders. We, we will find out what that looks like as we read through the book of Acts. But I think that's probably true. But here, there's no doubt that the Lord is going to choose someone. But I want to think for a moment how it would have felt to be either Joseph or Matthias. You see, they've lived with Jesus. It's not like the others who were kind of introduced to Jesus in the early days, in the exciting days. They've had to live through the, the sort of the times where Jesus has been rejected. They've had to live through the, the crucifixion. They've been there in the times where their disciples are really frightened because they think we're going to be next. They've heard Jesus say this in Luke. Before all this, they'll seize you, they'll persecute you, they'll hand you over to synagogues, they'll put you in prison, you'll be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name, and so you will bear testimony to me. That's how you'll bear testimony to be, Jesus said. They'll, they'll bring you before the synagogues, they'll bring you before the, you know, the sort of local councils, they'll put you in prison, they'll bring you before kings and governors. And that's where you'll bear testimony. I'll give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict you. You'll be betrayed by parents, by brothers, by sisters, by relatives and friends. They'll put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Jesus has said this to them. And now these two guys go, I'm up for that. Yes. I'll put my name forward. Can you imagine? Would you have done that? Knowing what might happen, knowing what being a witness would be, these two men said, yes. And then only one of them gets chosen. This is Tom Wright. Some of you will recognize him perhaps, but he wrote this uh, uh, somewhere that said part of Christian obedience right from the beginning was the call to play apparently great parts without pride and apparently small parts without shame. Again, I was thinking about these two guys, Matthias, he was the one that was chosen. The Lord chose him to be an apostle. We don't know any more about him. He's not mentioned again. But presumably he was one of the ones that would go out across country wider than the barrier, the boundaries, and he would play his part. And Joseph, and maybe I'm reading too much into the text at this point, but let me just go with my imagination for a moment. Joseph has to go home going, it wasn't me. I am a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not an apostle. It's not mine. I wonder how it would have felt to be either of those two guys. Sometimes it's easier to sort of say, okay, I'll put my name forward. And if, they, if you feel like it, you know, the, the, those around you feel like, it, yeah, you're the one the Lord would want, then, then that's okay. But what if they say, no, not you? Are you ready to play small parts without shame? 
some of you will know that um, Paul King's mum uh, died recently and uh, tomorrow uh, Paul's mum, we're going to do a funeral for her. And the family have written a piece about their mum and their grandma. And it's a really moving piece and I hope they make it more public so that those of you that knew her in her prime would be able to remember her well. But essentially what they said, amongst a lot of lovely things, what they said was this, was that Jackie, who lived in Odsall, they led a church in Odsall, her and her husband, at a time when Odsall was really difficult. But what Jackie did was she gave her time to her neighbours, to her family, to her church, with cake and coffee and conversation, with care and compassion. And I know Paul won't take this the wrong way, but Jackie will be buried tomorrow. And in a sense, she won't make the headlines. No one apart from the family and those who knew her well will remember, but she played her part in the kingdom of God. She'd said yes. She said yes to living in Otso at a time when Otso wasn't that great. She said yes to getting to know the neighbors when some of the neighbors were the ones who were actually trying to put the bricks through the windows. She said yes to offering care to those around her. At a time when people really needed to know, does anybody remember us down here in Odsall? I think she's a picture really of someone who plays and apparently, and it's really important you hear that word, apparently small parts without shame because I think when we get to eternity, the Lord will go, well done. What you thought was small, I actually, took it that you did it for me. Four guys in this passage. One said, following Jesus is going to change too much. I'm going to hand him over. One who said, following Jesus actually might mean that I will lose stuff and I don't want to lose stuff, so I'll protect myself. And two guys who said yes. I wonder what your answer would be. The truth is, if you say yes to Jesus, you don't know what other yeses that will entail. But this is the promise. There was a time when the disciples said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am that way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. Follow me. What will your answer be? I've been a follower of Jesus for, well, getting on for 40 years. And I keep having to come back to this really simple question. At my stage of life, in my situation, with my particular responsibilities, am I ready to say yes? Not knowing what that will mean but ready to say yes. When we're in church together, one of the things that we do quite regularly is we say, so what are you thinking? What is the Lord reminding you of? What question might you have? What springs to mind? And I wanna give you the chance to do that through chat, through that um, way of just uh, typing your thoughts what do you think 
what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? What would you want to pray next? What do you think God is really impressing upon us? What would you write? And so for a moment or two, we'll just, um, we'll just go back and we'll just see the chat. And I wonder if you would be willing just to almost ask yourself, okay, Lord, so what are you saying? What do I need to be reminded? And then just begin to type it in. As I said, you might have questions. Or you might just want to put a prayer there. Or you might want to go, I'll say yes. Or you might go, God help me say yes. Or God help me want to say yes. I don't know. But I'm just going to give you a moment or two just to do that where you are. Thank you.